0: Hello and welcome to episode 316 of the Juice Box Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Benner, and this is the Type 1 Diabetes Podcast that you've been searching for. Today's episode is with Dr. Julia Blanchett, PhD. She's a registered nurse, a certified diabetes care and educational specialist, and a person living with Type 1 Diabetes. Not only that, she may become a, uh, a regular on the podcast. You'll find out why soon. Today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, the world's greatest insulin pump. It's tubeless, you know, no tubing. What does that mean to you? Well, it's easy to find out because you can get an absolutely free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod sent right to you by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Today's show is also sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. You want to be able to track your blood sugar in real time without a finger stick? Get the Dexcom G6. Head over to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. As I said in the cold open, Julia has type 1 diabetes. She's also a CDE, even though, you know, they're starting not to call them CDEs anymore. Julia has a PhD as well, and her focuses for her dissertation are of... Um, great interest to me, and I think to you as well. So check out Julia today, I think you're going to like her, and I think she's going to be back. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan, becoming bold with insulin, or you know, walking outside during this coronavirus thing. While we're all locked up in our houses, I'm going to be holding some Zoom meetings for people just to check in and chat with others. The first one's going to be March 26th at, let's say, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay, March 26th, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. You'll be able to find links. Hmm, where are you going to be able to find links? On my Facebook page and on Instagram and Twitter. 3 p.m. You can come by and chat. Just listen. You can show your face. You don't have to. It's going to be like a little support group for people with type one, you know, while we're all locked up in our house. First of all, you know, we're recording and I'm going to apologize to you for, you know, you and I had a full and complete conversation that I made you wait months and months and months to actually hear. And then it turned out I had recorded my voice and not yours um, the third time I've done that. In five years, so not feeling too bad about it. But I did enjoy speaking with you, so I thought let's do it again.
1: I mean, it was pretty fun, so (laughs) So I'm back.
0: (laughs) We'll be able, able and plus, there's other stuff to talk about now. So we're gonna we'll do a little uh, a shorter thing about you, and then we're gonna talk more about what's going on in the world. Perfect. That makes sense. All right. Perfect. So, how old are you right now, and what is your name?
1: I am almost 28. In a week, I'm 28, so I guess I'm 27 and almost 28, and my name is Julia, and, oh, I was going to say more, and you didn't ask me to say more, so.
0: Look, you don't have to follow the instructions that closely. Um, Why why are you so accomplished at 28? What happened to you as a small child? Did someone impress upon you you needed to work really hard or something like that?
1: So, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was Mm 7, and I had a really amazing support system. Um, Mostly my mom who always advocated for me and helped me learn how to advocate for myself and show me that I wasn't going to let anything stop me. And I think that really has led me to become who I am.
0: And you just got a degree, right? Like what, what did you just accomplish?
1: (laughs) So I just finished my PhD. So I have my PhD in nursing science and my um, area of expertise is financial stress and psychological symptoms in young adults with type one diabetes.
0: So hold on a second. Wait, that seems like a lot. Explain that to me. What was that degree in?
1: You... <laughs> so it's in. So I have a PhD. So if you actually look at my degree, it just says Doctor of Philosophy. Okay. But but then people are always like, "Well, what's your PhD in?" So then I say, well, it's nursing science. That was technically my major. But then people are like, but then what is it really in in nursing? Mm-hmm. So I gave the full answer.
0: And and give it to me one more time, slowly.
1: So I have a doctor of philosophy or a Ph.D. in nursing science, and my area of expertise is in financial stress factors psychological symptoms and self-management outcomes in young adults with type 1 diabetes. Are you the
0: only person who has this degree in the whole world or were there other people in the room with you? <laughs>
1: um, so I'm the only person who's defended this dissertation in the whole world, okay. but there's other people who have PhDs in nursing science.
0: So so when you are tasked with your dissertation, what what led you to choose those focuses?
1: Yeah, so that's a, an amazing question. So
0: I'm very good at this podcasting. That's why it's such you're a
1: You're so good at the podcasting. I just want to get um, that out of the way. Front. <laughs> so, um, so when I graduated with my Bachelor's of Science in Nursing, so my BSN, that's what would have allowed me to take the RN exam. <sighs> um, I worked at diabetes camp for that summer, and I was the um, counselor and training nurse. So I spent the whole summer with 16 um, year old young girls or young women. Mm-hmm. And it really opened my eyes. So I worked really closely with um, some amazing now young adults who have overcome a lot. And But at the time, they I just saw all of the psychological stressors they were facing. And it really was eye-opening to me to realize that I had an amazing support system. And I really haven't had a lot of barriers psychologically with Uh, Managing type 1 diabetes, but it's not like that for everyone. So, that was the first really important thing that I noticed as a clinician for the first time that I wanted to then bring research in to figure out how to solve problems. So, I went into my PhD saying, I want to figure out better support systems for adolescents and young adults with type 1 diabetes. And then at the same time, I was going through the transition from pediatric to adult diabetes care. And I was kind of just thrown for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. onto the adult side. Um, I went to see my pediatric endocrinologist in a different state. And so when I was seeing my adult endocrinologist, like 500 miles away, my pediatric endocrinologist who is amazing, just didn't really know who to connect me with. So I had, I was nervous to make it my first adult appointment. And when I made it, it was really discouraging. So then I was like, wow. So there's all of these adolescents that don't have a lot of psychosocial resources and have a lot of psychological barriers, and then they have to go into this transition that is awful. So that was the next piece of what I wanted to look at. And so first half of my coursework during my PhD, so I was like a year and a half, I was set on trying to find better ways to smooth the transition from pediatric to adult diabetes care by making sure that these adolescents and young adults had better psychological support. Okay. And then January 1st, 2017 happened and
0: well, that's the my... day I painted my bedroom a different well
1: color. well that's amazing yeah. that's that that's not what happened to me <laughs> something, <laughs> happened to something a little different happened so um so January 1st that year I was switched from a non-high-deductible private insurance plan paid by my father's employer or covered by my father's employer to a high-deductible plan mm-hmm. and um young Julia had no idea. Like I had no idea about health insurance, right? Sure. My parents were paying for it. I was, at this point, I was going to pick up all of my medications by myself and I was paying for some of my medications and supplies by myself. But I was I was a graduate student. So I was on my parents' insurance. I was not 26 yet. So then um the first week of January, so it wasn't January 1st, but that was the day the insurance changed. So mm-hmm. it was probably like the fifth or sixth I go to Walgreens to pick up my three vials of insulin and the farm tech looks at me and she's like, I don't know what's wrong. I can't dispense this. And I said, what's going on? Mm. And she said, your insulin is like astronomically expensive. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why your insurance isn't covering it. And so she even applied the pharmaceutical coupon. which at the time only deducted, um, like a $100 savings for the high deductible. Um, and then of course I had to, I called my parents crying and we figured out a way to pay the high deductible to get my insulin. But it was a shocker. Like I was, my eyes were opened again to just another problem that a lot of people, especially young people with diabetes were likely experiencing.
0: So. Julia, I just did something that I don't normally do. I wrote down things. Yeah. And here's what happened. Please don't feel any pressure to say yes. Uh, okay. But what I think we've just done is outlined the first three episodes of a new diabetes pro tip series uh, with you as the guest. Do I, Ooh. Did that just happen? Do you feel like that just happened?
1: Well, will Jenny get upset? I love Jenny. No,
0: Jenny and I have already had a conversation and I've been looking for someone to handle the psychological stuff. Um. The questions that come up that I can talk through, but don't understand enough to be definitive about. Um, and I just, as you're speaking, I I started writing down questions that I had around these ideas. And if you're up for it, we should talk about that later. If you're not, just disappoint all the people who just heard you, me ask you that, and then you said no.
1: No, I, I I'm down for anything. So you oh. know,
0: I'm sure. I'm parents, always down. <laughs> I'm sure your parents don't want to hear that. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> There's yeah. so I, I'm, first I'm going to say something to you that's going to make you laugh, and I'm going to okay. bleep it out. No one's ever going to hear it. When you okay. said on January first, of you know, two thousand seventeen, this amazing thing happened. I thought you were going to say, "I found my."
1: Then, oh, my gosh, Scott.
0: Just so you understand where my brain's running in 19 different directions while I'm doing this podcast. There will be one long beep through everything I just said. The rest of you could just wonder forever what I just said to Julia. Um, but And
1: this is this is the difference between me and Scott. I'm a researcher who who finds these aha moments, and Scott thinks about other things.
0: My brain just bounces around, that's all. Okay, so I, your first thing that you talked about... Um, I was wondering, what are you seeing so far? Like, let's tease us this, uh, uh, this idea a little bit. When, yeah. when you talk about the stressors, right, um, do, do they lessen when people have good tools? We're living in strange times, it seems. We're all sort of in our homes now, waiting out the coronavirus. There are still some people, of course, that have to get out to work. But many people around the world are in their houses right now. And it feels strange. It might feel like life's on hold, that there's a pause here, but I choose to see it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to better your own health. You have this block of time now. There's less to do. So that means there's more time to focus on your health, more time to figure out a new device, for instance, like the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. There is no better time to go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox then right now. Let Omnipod send you out a pod experience kit. An absolutely free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod. You can wear it around your house, in your new dystopian life, and see how you like it. And when you decide that it's for you, contact Omnipod and they'll get you going. Then you can use this free time, you know, to get your basal rates set up and Learn how your new insulin pump works. It's really kind of perfect. I mean, you know, with the exception of the coronavirus. Otherwise, the free time is what I mean is perfect. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juicebox. It's the world's best pump. It's an amazing device. It's tubeless. Nothing to be clipped to your belt or stuffed in your bra or hidden in your shirt, right? Just this little self contained, beautiful pump. That will deliver your insulin sleeping and awake, active, inactive, sitting on your sofa, rewatching your favorite show for the 30th time. Now, after you do that, reset the music and check out the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. You may not be surprised to know that that's at dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. When you get there, it's a simple trip to a better life. Get started with the Dexcom G6. It's a green button right on that page. You can make knowledge your superpower with the Dexcom G6. It's covered by most insurance plans, and it is absolutely at the center of how we make decisions about my daughter Arden's type 1 diabetes. It's how I can look over my shoulder right now and see that her blood sugar is 78. After today having a bowl of cereal, an apple, Um, I saw her with something else in between. I think she's been snacking on chocolates it could possibly be that time you know what i'm saying her blood sugar has never been under 70 or over 120 not today imagine that frosted flakes and a 120 blood sugar i get to that courtesy of the information that comes back from the dexcom continuous glucose monitor you absolutely owe it to yourself to check it out zero finger sticks customizable alerts and alarms Smart device compatibility for Android and iPhone. You can share your data with followers, right? Your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your best friend. They can see what your blood sugar is. And it's indicated for children two years and up. Come on, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Get in there, get in the fight. Look at this text I'm getting right now. I swear this just happened. Hey, dad, I'm going to have some sherbet. Look at that. No worries. Just Sherbert, Dexcom. When you talk about the stressors, do do they lessen when people have good tools?
1: So that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. I'm going to preface this by telling you, so I can only talk about what I have published from my dissertation, but I can also tell you what I've seen clinically and what I know just from other researchers. So um, with the young adult population, even young adults that have access to, um, technology. So that's a, you know, it's a high percentage of a lot of people with diabetes, Mm -hmm. but we think that potentially a a lower percentage of young adults than the general population are using these technologies. Um, they're still having stressors.
0: Okay. So, so people, so, so if, Say I'm a person, let's make me a person with diabetes in this Mm -hmm. scenario, and I know all the stuff that you know that I know because you listen to the podcast.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm
0: still going to feel stressors even though I'm that on top of the idea of my management. Yeah. Okay. All right. I imagine that to be true. Are they greater when I don't understand the management?
1: So from what I've seen clinically, I think when you don't understand the management, it's definitely can contribute more quickly to burnout because you feel more h- helpless.
0: Okay. And so is in your mind, because it's such a, it's a word, right? Burnout, like we throw it around. Yeah. It, it really, it, does it really mean just an inability to care at some point or to, or to be motivated or something along those lines?
1: Yeah. So it, it does. I mean, it means that you've gotten to a point where you, you physically and emotionally cannot do the tasks. Um, and then there's other um, components as well, like with diabetes distress and um, other psychological factors too, like depression and anxiety. But burnout in itself means you do not have the ability to actually get yourself to do what you need. What you I don't want to say what you need to do because I'm trying to steer away from um, making people feel bad right. when they're unable to do what they, um, would otherwise do to manage the, their the diabetes. descriptive
0: word in a, in an intellectual conversation. It's the things that have to happen. You have to get your insulin in a, in a timely way. You have to know how many carbs you're taking in for the most part, like the things that yeah. have to happen around diabetes. You just literally cannot bring yourself to,
1: to do them, to,
0: to care or do them or to, yeah. to feel the, and it, but it doesn't stop you from feeling the impact of not doing it.
1: Correct. And I think oh. there's a lot of guilt that I see.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. You're the right one. (laughs) We're doing this. This is going to be at least five episodes that could turn into more. Um, see, it's good thing that my recording thing didn't work because I never would have had this idea. Otherwise it was the, it was the different way that you described your PhD this time than the last time that made me think, Oh, this is the right person.
1: Well, remember last time I didn't defend my PhD yet. Yeah. So oh, that's I am right. a I am a different person now. So when we recorded last time, I was a few weeks away from defending it. Mm-hmm. So f- imagine how different of a state I was in.
0: Right. You were just back then. You're like, I hope I get this damn thing done. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I hope I hope that they pass me. Like that's how I was feeling.
0: I can wonder too out loud about the just the the pressure of like what if I defend this thing and I I get my PhD and that's all great but I get to the end and think to myself oh this whole thing was bull I don't even believe this like th- is there ever that feeling like what if I get through all this and I get to the end and I don't even agree with myself when it's over
1: so I think um, doing a PhD in itself is a really emotionally challenging process and I think from most of the PhD students that I've talked to and then there's quite a large support network on social media, like on Twitter.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think all of us just feel so burnt out by the end of it that it's like, you just want to get it done. And like, that's the main thing you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. But I was so lucky in the fact that I had this, I, and I'm going to be honest, like most PhDs, you just try to get your dissertation done. But I mean, I really, crafted something from what I had seen clinically, what I had experienced personally as a young adult with diabetes and where I saw the gaps in the research. And I actually did, I will tell you, I had significant findings, which isn't always common for a dissertation. So not everyone actually finds that their um, hypotheses and their research design actually um, conclude with relevant Well, all results are relevant. Sorry. So I take the relevant word back, but they're not always significant results. So I did have significant results.
0: I have to tell you that I don't have the ability to uh, I would not have the ability to claim a PhD out of the world. But I do believe that this podcast has given me back significant results about the stress that you take away from people by just allowing them to make decisions that they can kind of count on. And, yeah. and have repetitive um occurrences and outcomes and things like that stuff that they can lay back and go I know if I do this this is going to work and that if it doesn't there's a reason aside from the steps I've taken and yeah. I think that's amazing but I'm you know again the the, the dirty secret of the podcast right is it's for me if it helps you that's a benefit uh, that's a bonus yeah. <laughs> um I'm thinking that what you and I are going to talk about is is going to help me and I'm already I'm already feeling more comfortable with my thought that as life progresses, there are going to be times where Arden is going to have to kind of, you know, come home for the lack of a better term to reset herself around diabetes. And that could, it, that could happen as a young adult in college. It could happen as a married person. It could, marry, it could be as an older single person, like whatever she ends up being, I think there's going to need to be a home base where yeah. where you can go back to people who just like are like oh I know how to do this it's okay let me take it off here for five seconds so you can reset so sort of the way we talk about yeah when you roller coaster right with diabetes yeah. or when you get high and you get stuck high sometimes you just got to get low stable and start over again I think that that's the truth about life if you're if you're really listening to the show my concept about diabetes is just my concept about living ap- yeah. applied to insulin so. I don't want to well, give I don't wanna give the whole secret away, you know, before I'm done paying for my kids' college. <laughs> but <laughs> but Oh God. But that's what the podcast is, like to me. Like it's just my basic idea of being alive applied to other things, and in this case, diabetes.
1: Well, and I wanna take a step back and go back to what you were saying. So, you know, what we're finding is that even if parents aren't actively involved, parents or other types of caregiver support Mm -hmm. aren't 100% actively involved in self management for young adults, just having someone who is supportive and who's there for you for your diabetes, like you just described, is that in itself helps, um, helps prevent some of the psychological distress,
0: right? Oh, no, I I find myself saying just as a matter of, you know, a a baseline, I say into your mid 20s, I think they, yeah. they need support at the very least. And I don't know why. I mean, there have been times in my life, in my 20s and 30s and 40s, where I've had the thought, like, I got to go find my mom. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, I, I, well, and it's the same thing. So it's, it's this whole, like developmental stage of emerging adulthood. So it's not only when one's taking on diabetes self-management and experiencing how that is, but it's, you know, the typical developmental process when you do, need to lay on others especially people who you've depended on your whole life for support in certain situations
0: I, I i the excuse me the whole concept of the excuse me one second do you have coronavirus i got the coronavirus in my throat
1: yeah. <laughs> oh no <laughs> good thing we're uh we're not talking to each other in person right now
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm not even six feet from this microphone so this microphone's screwed too uh, oh no but, but no no um i i think that as much as I understand the statement, how old, you know, people ask me very frequently, you know, what's a good age where they can take over their own care? And I think some people ask because they don't want to infantilize the kids around diabetes. That's their fear. But I think there are some people who ask us, they're like, you know, when can I stop, you know, being burdened with this diabetes thing? When can I like kind of put it on the kid a little bit, you know? And, And in my mind, I don't think there's an age.
1: you're you're on it you're on it there's not an age it's Mm -hmm. different for everyone in every situation you get it of course
0: i will william was on the show years ago at 15 listening to the podcast and then figuring things out his mom came on and was talking about you know how well you know she and i spoke privately and she's like my son listened to your podcast and like put a whole plan together for himself that's a certain person Oh, you know arden is you know sometimes i'll be like hey uh what's your blood sugar? And she'll be like, isn't it on your phone?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just what teenagers do. But right, right. I mean, I think too, like, so the type of person I am, I always wanted to manage my diabetes by myself. So I was diagnosed when I was seven and um, for the first year, my mom and dad gave me most of my shots. But then I, I can say, I think by the time I was eight, when I was on a pump, I was calculating my carb doses. I remember, so I was, my carb ratio was 0. 0.7 for 15, which is actually a one to 22 carb ratio. Mm-hmm. But the reason it was so weird is because in 2000, we were still using carb exchanges. So you did everything in 15s. Yeah. So that's why it was 0. 0.7 units to 15 carbs. But I remember my neighbor, who is amazing, she was, um she's a teacher and she kind of did like, um, I don't know if she did special ed support or what she did, but she actually helped a lot of kids like with math in like smaller settings. That right. was her job. Right. And she actually showed me how to do my carb calculations because the pump didn't calculate it for me at that time. We it, There was no carb calculator or mm-hmm. calculator on the pump. So my neighbor actually showed me how to calculate my carbs. And I would, I at eight years old, I was figuring out how much insulin I needed for carbs. That's really cool. So, but that takes a special person, like not to call myself special, but but you just did. But like, I think not, it's just the person I am, like, I'm very motivated to do things and self-motivated and, um, and you know, so with the transition and doing the independent self-management, it really just depends on who the kid is, but also their situation.
0: It just, it's who you are, right? Like, yeah, it would, it would be ridiculous. We, you couldn't randomly just take 10 children and tell them all that, you know, you're going to be calculus majors. Right. It's right for some people and not right for other people. And you do need to listen. There are some, in my opinion, some basic ideas that everyone, you know, kind of has to adhere to. And there are things you should expect from your children on a baseline. But then you don't start expecting calculus from all of them. Some of them, you know, probably should be drawing a picture or right. telling a story, you know, or, or talking to other people. I mean, I, honestly, this thing I'm doing right now. This if this idea of having a microphone and being able to speak to a person remotely about something, if that was a thing that existed in the 70s, I would have known that was right for me then. Right. Y- y- you know, and but it just didn't it didn't exist. But imagine if someone I was lucky enough to not get pushed into a direction that wasn't me. Right. You know, I had this um I don't think I've ever told this here, but I, I said it to somebody the other day and it made me uh remember as I was leaving middle school and going into high school. I was walking down the hall on the, the, the waning days of my last year, and my guidance counselor came out of a door, saw me, grabbed me, pulled me in. And don't worry, this doesn't end poorly. And, uh, and, and, and he said to me, I'll never forget him. His name was Mr. Wiley. And I, I didn't have that much you know interaction with him, but he said, uh, I'm glad I found you. I wanted to let you know I think you're going to do great. And uh, I always thought you should be an attorney. Whoa. And I I don't know how old I was. Maybe I was in ninth grade, eighth grade. You know what I mean? Like whatever, how old you are then. And even at that age, I stopped and said, oh, that's really nice. Thank you. But then I'd be an attorney for the rest of my life. (laughs) Right. And I was like, that sounds bad. Yeah. You know, like being anything for the rest of my life sounds bad, but I don't want to and then he asked me why, and I said, I have to be honest with you, I think I could be a good attorney, but I don't know if I have the self restraint not to be a bad attorney. And and and, I, and
1: you knew that in eighth grade. I, so. knew,
0: I know I know that I see the other side of I know that there's a there's a good person who I am but I also see the other side. Like if I decided to start an online ministry and steal from people, I think, <laughs> oh I, 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 think I could do it. You, but you, know you wouldn't, you
1: wouldn't,
0: you wouldn't I 100% wouldn't, but I also always wonder you know, how much of what we wouldn't do is because we don't have the necessity. Like, you know, when people used to tell me, like, you're such a great dad, it was easy. My kids were good, easy kids. Like, I wonder if my kids were like, terrible, how good of a dad I would have been. You, you know what I yeah. mean? And I wonder yeah. if you made me an attorney, if I wouldn't end up being like the bad kind or, you, <laughs> oh, know, you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. so I had those two thoughts. Like, I don't know if I can trust myself even then. And I definitely don't want to do the same thing for the rest of my life. Now, as an adult, I know I can trust myself to do the right thing. I do it over and over again when I have the opportunity to do the wrong thing. Um, Yeah. but, But I still cringe at the idea of doing the same thing forever.
1: Well, it sounds like you're doing what you enjoy and it's different all the time. So
0: I wish this. So you got that. I'm at the point where I wish I could make this podcast every day. Yeah, like I would enjoy that. You and I are having a completely different conversation than we had the first time, and I think I could bring you back on every day and have a different conversation with you. Like, oh, but, and don't take that personally. I could do it to anybody. I'm saying it's me. I'm I'm the skill, not you, Julia. Stop trying to oh, take hey, away my, hey. my, my spotlight. <laughs> for God's sakes.
1: No, but I mean, I think like no. I I do think you're right about that. I think you're you have very good real conversations with people and you're not just interviewing them with the same types of questions and getting the same types of answers. And I yeah. think it yeah, you could you could find someone different every
0: day. Thank you. And yes. I'm, I'm very <laughs> proud of it. I really am. And I'm proud of how it gets better. Because yeah. even I there are times I'm in the middle of a conversation and I think this is better than I would have done last year. Like while yeah. while I'm talking to somebody. Um but but nevertheless. So all right. So you've had type one for quite some time. And now how do you take all of your fancy learning, Julia, and apply it in the real world? And by the way, did you find out your PhD made you another $5 a day? How much, how much is that
1: helping? <laughs> um, you want to know the real answer? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> uh, nothing more right now. Congratulations. So all, all thank you. Yeah. Thank you. But I can tell you, no, the jobs I'm qualified for, it'll, it'll pay more. I'm just um, right now, um since I graduated in the middle of the year, mm-hmm. I am working not full time but I'm working like 70% of the time as a diabetes care and education specialist formerly known as a certified diabetes educator mm-hmm. and I love that job. So I do have a couple of future opportunities that are potential that would yes they would pay me quite a bit more with the PhD. Right. Um but for now I'm happy um, where I am, so I'm not. I'm just kind of things will fall into place.
0: And I, I see, I see that we're not saying where you work, and that's fine. But I, want yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say that Julia works at a very impressive place. So.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, and I have a, I have an awesome team. Um, so I think I've grown a lot even since I started working with them. I've grown so much as a clinician.
0: Cool, it's excellent. Um,
1: but to answer your question about how do I <clears throat> take what I learn and apply it to myself, so. I'm a very hands-on learner. So what that means for me is that in order for me to fully understand things, I actually have to try them myself. So a lot of times I find myself doing these self-diabetes, self-management experiments Mm -hmm. before fully taking the knowledge I know about it into practice. Um, So I think I kind of do the opposite of what you were asking. I kind of tried on myself first, and then I applied in practice. But um, when I'm trying it on myself, I definitely take a lot of time to um, stop and look at my patterns and figure out kind of what's going on as it's happening. So I do take a lot of time to um, understand all the different factors that are impacting me and what changes I can make. And that I learned from working with patients, right? So I'm telling them to look at their data and think about everything they're doing and think about all the factors. And I I have applied that to myself.
0: So how many people do you meet? What's the ratio, I guess is my question of people who you look at and think this is going to work out for them versus people who you look at and think this isn't going to work out for them.
1: So you asked me this question last time yeah. and I have the same answer. Oh, I never look at someone and say, this isn't going to work out.
0: Okay. A more difficult road. Is that a more fair way to say it?
1: Okay. So, and this is, <laughs> this is really weird timing. So I, I have to tell you, I've met one person in my years as a diabetes care and education specialist mm-hmm. who really didn't want to be in my office and really didn't want to be talking to me. Okay. So that is the only example of a person where I'm like, this person is going to have a difficult time because they don't even want to learn. Um so you know adult learning since I work with adults is a lot it's um it's a lot of the person wanting to learn themselves and applying it to what's relevant for them so i try to shape all of my education sessions to the person and to what their needs are and to what's relevant to them so i kind of go in with what can we make work for them opposed to what won't work for them and that's just my frame of thinking
0: that's the same thing we were just talking about, really, with like parenting or diabetes or any of that stuff. Just like,
1: yeah,
0: like molding it to people. So then, all right. So then, that's a that's a great answer, and makes me realize I asked my question incorrectly. How, <laughs> that's how, okay. I know, how many people? Let's start here. How many people have type one diabetes in America?
1: Um you know, 1. 5, doc, 1. Dr. Julia should really know the answer to that, but it changes so frequently. It's, it, I believe, isn't it? One point something million, yeah. 1.8 million, it's like, something it's well like that. Over
0: one and a half coming up on 2 million people. So my question then is how many of those people are significantly underserved with information and support? Like maybe, are you maybe seeing the ones who have insurance who you know what I mean like like I always yeah. try to imagine who it is we're not finding
1: so I yes yeah, so that's okay so that's a really good question so in my current practice we we do take people who are on public insurance but we, it, we don't offer like free services to those who do not have insurance mm-hmm. but even that being said I mean I get people every day that are like I'm so happy I met with you no one's ever told me this before No one's ever told me why I need to count carbs before. No one's ever taken the time to explain what a carb is to me before. No one's ever taken the time to explain that it's not necessarily my fault. My insulin might not be what's right for my body's needs right now.
0: How does that happen to them? Because they know they have diabetes and they have tools in their hands. Somebody saw them at some
1: point, right? And it's like... I have to say it's, I would say with 80% of my patients, they feel like they're doing something wrong. And, and the, and then I always, you know, I take the time to provide them the education they deserve. And, um, and, and it's just, it's really shocking. I mean, yeah, I think now that I'm talking about it and thinking about it, it is really shocking that so many of them just don't ever get the education that they need. But I think a lot of it has to do with our healthcare system. Um, so if you know if you're diagnosed in the hospital, you're kind of they kind of um, this is nothing against inpatient diabetes management or educators. It's very different, and they have to kind of put out the fires and just explain to you, okay, you need insulin, you need to prevent lows. Like that's all you can. That's all a person can has the capacity to
0: learn when we're they're ha- inpatient. Then we're handling it wrong then, because the truth is. This podcast shouldn't need to be popular. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like there there is a very easy way to put it out of business. It's just have di- have people educate better at the at the at the point of contact.
1: Well, so I think though, just from you know, I I obviously didn't get my own, like I my whole family got education at our point of contact. Mm. And I think my mom would have a lot more to say about how she felt overwhelmed, opposed to me, who was running around the hospital yeah. in hospital socks, dancing with my friends, right. not not feeling very sick. <laughs> but I think now that I've had friends, my age that have been diagnosed with diabetes and have been in the intensive care unit in d k a like it's really you can't provide even if you try to provide the education needed at that point in time, people don't have the capacity because they're so overwhelmed with their diagnosis or they're so sick. So I think the key is getting them to diabetes education when they're out of the hospital, but that doesn't happen because, you know, it can say that on the discharge orders or they might, they might be at a smaller community hospital that doesn't even have diabetes education. Right. Or they might be at a hospital and live far away and they might not have access to an educator. So I think there's still a lot of barriers. And then if you're overwhelmed and you just went through all of this, um, of, you know, all of this new diagnosis and this hospitalization, I don't know, I would show up for diabetes education, but maybe other people still feel too overwhelmed too. So there's just a lot of factors. Um, it's, okay. it's a really complicated.
0: I'm going to say something that's going to sound pompous for a second. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay, go.
0: I think that if you could obviously there's a lot of pie in the sky here, but if yeah. you, if you could bring me to your institution and okay. le, and let me talk to 10 people okay. in the first 3 days of their diabetes diagnosis and I would need a half an hour with them and then a 20 minute follow-up. I think I could do it.
1: I think there's something about connecting with someone else who has diabetes in a light that's not medical, 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 and right. a light that's like, I'm a real person. But I also find that that's why patients appreciate me. Um, cause part of my strategy is showing them like, I do understand yeah, I or sometimes, this. sometimes I don't understand, but if I do understand, I let them know mm-hmm. like, Hey, like, here's what, here's what I found helped me, um, I'm a real person. And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of my patients will come in and they'll be like, you're going to be so mad at me because I haven't been pre-bolusing or I've been, what they'll say is I've been eating bad. And I'm like, I'm not mad at you. You're a real person. Like, this is how we live our lives. And we just have to find a smaller goal and figure out how to meet it for you.
0: I don't change what people say when they're on the podcast like I don't correct them if they use terminology I don't agree with because I think it's good for people to hear how people feel. But I'm always like shocked when someone tells me they're a bad diabetic. Like I
1: I know. It's it was- and it's just showing how guilty people feel. Yeah. No, I know. It's a problem.
0: It is. Okay. All right, let's do I'm going to hit two things, right? And okay. because I've Messed you over so badly with your episode. Yours is going up very soon. So I can be... Oh,
1: so I can could be, I trust you or no? Oh, I don't know if you can trust me, <laughs> but I have good intentions right after all
0: this. Um, So I want to talk to you about, and you're going to have to help me be, um, you're going to have to help me with your phrasing, okay? Okay. But I want to finish up talking with you about algorithm-based pumping. Okay. <laughs> and what your... Talking about at your practice around coronavirus as it's March seventeenth, right now. So let's okay. let's start with the Corona thing. So, have you been in Corona meetings? Like, are you got what? What is happening? What like what yeah. should we expect is happening in our endocrinologist office as this is all kind of ramping up and happening?
1: So I'm going to be totally transparent and let you know. I think it really differs based on what state you're in, and. Because, you know, different state governments are suggesting different or implying different um, restrictions right now. Mm -hmm. And then I think it also depends if you're at a big practice or at a really small private practice. So I can tell you at my big practice, as of March 17th, we are not closed. We are trying to limit in-person contact, though. Okay. So... And that's another thing. So like if your practice doesn't have virtual visit capability or you have state law restrictions on that, that might be a barrier. That being said, I'm saying this on the morning of March 17th, later today, there could be some sort of law passed that waives those restrictions. So it's very, it's a very fluid situation, but I think you don't expect that you can't contact your endocrinology or your diabetes practice because we're all making arrangements as of March 17th, that you can contact us and that we can somehow get you what you need. So I've seen um, some practices doing just telephone consults Mm -hmm. that don't have the virtual capability. I've seen other practices that are just waiving fees for the time being and then figuring it out later. So don't feel like we're not available. As of March 17th, we are. We're just a lot of us are trying to limit the in-person contact.
0: So you're further in off of the coasts not a lot but you yeah th- you still are and i mm-hmm. it, it's very funny as as um i saw like speaking engagements getting canceled yeah i had one in wisconsin and they were like everything's fine i'm like are you sure because i don't think my son's going to college anymore
1: like do you know no
0: no, one's talking about it here and i I, I, remember I said uh to julia in wisconsin i said give it two days And sure enough, two days later, it had bled, you know, the virus had spread towards the center of the country a little more. Um, And so it's happening. It is interesting how we, how we like to like wish for what we want to happen. You know, when you start seeing what's happening in Seattle and New York and these other things to think it's not going to continue on is just like, that's just hopeful, uh, you know, in in the wrong way. So it's coming towards... Towards everybody, and and it's so. Are you looking at telemed? Um, Is that an idea where you're going to be able to video chat with people and have real like things? Do you have any idea which way they're going to go?
1: So I can tell you, my practice, um, we have virtual visit capabilities mm-hmm. um, for my practice in my state. Not all insurance covers virtual visits though, so there's an out of pocket cost for some situations as of March 17th that may be waived by my hospital at some point I don't know what's going to happen but yeah so we're going with virtual but then like yesterday I actually um, had a patient who doesn't have a smart device or a computer so like Mm -hmm. in that situation we would do telephone instead of virtual so like we're making it work like know that we're not trying to push you guys at least my practice and I would hope everyone's like this we're not we're not trying to limit your resources like we know you need your resources still Right. so so don't freak out I would always call your practice or your provider to see what they're offering at this moment
0: because it's going to change pretty readily is this it's going to change yeah on. and this is my best guess is this is going to go on for a number of months probably so
1: yeah, yeah, as a, as a healthcare provider and a researcher, I would say it's not, we don't really know when this when it'll stop at this point, but expect at least for the next month to two months.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think, I think eight weeks is the, is the bare minimum we're going to say. Yeah.
1: That's okay. what, that's what it seems like the experts are kind of directing towards. So it's not going to be over quickly. And You know, I think this probably is, unfortunately, I don't think this is the first time we're going to be hit by a pandemic either. So I think we're learning a lot from this experience, especially as healthcare providers. And I think we'll be much better equipped for next time because right now we're just doing what we can. We're just adjusting as needed.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah. So have you met or heard of anyone with type one who has Corona yet?
1: I have not, I'm waiting for it to happen since I feel like I have a million friends that all have diabetes. So yeah, I I don't know anyone who's been diagnosed with it yet. That being said, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, it's coming and I'm sure someone's had it, but, um, you know, as someone with diabetes, it is really important, um, to know that if you have any type of complications you and, or your blood sugars are running higher, Not blaming anyone for either of those things. I know a lot of people have circumstances where that's just how you have to live. But if you're in one of those situations, know that you could be at higher risk of contracting it. If you have well-managed diabetes, for lack of a better term right now, and you don't have complications, you're not necessarily at a higher risk of contracting it. But with either situation, like with any type of illness, you are at higher risk of contracting Going into DKA or getting ketones or having dehydration or hyperglycemia from contracting an illness, so we all just have to be careful.
0: Right. And I just recorded an episode that I put up today. I just recorded it last night with uh, Doctor Adam Nadelman. He said the same thing. Just in general, oh. the better the better health you are in, aside from diabetes, just in any way you can consider. You know, the more. Uh, capable your body's going to be of fighting off a virus or right you know or maybe you know i'm not saying keeping you from getting it but it might make it more difficult for you to get it might make it more difficult for it to thrive in you just in general your quality of your health has a lot to do with your quality of your ability to stay healthy
1: for sure yeah i agree
0: yeah it's just it's i mean that's this is common sense, right? We haven't really said anything too deep there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, some, uh, you know, Olympic pole vaulter with, you know, 0.14% body fat isn't going to get the coronavirus. But, well, right. You know, but, That's
1: the other thing too, yeah. is it seems that there's going to be situations that are exceptions to the overall um, situation. Like yeah. there's going to be exceptions where someone randomly gets a really bad case of it and there's no logical explanation it just happens like I feel like that's also something we need to be aware of so social distancing guys
0: yeah stay away stop yeah stop kissing people yeah stop, stop hugging them <laughs> stop touching them just wait a little bit <laughs> relax <laughs> um, oh that's hard right now but... well well. so now the last thing I'm going to roll into because of just because of your your PhD if nothing yeah. else is what about People who are already sort of naturally anxious, or yeah, you know, depressed or worrisome. Like I have, uh, I don't want to say who it is, but there's someone that I know who, you know, sort of suffers from some, you know, mental health issues, and you can already see that person bubbling over, trying to think their way through this. In you know,
1: yeah. So I think at this time, I mean. So social isolation in itself can contribute to even greater feelings of depression and anxiety and isolation. Right. Right. And then just the angst that the rest of the world has right now can also contribute. So anyone that has um, already has a mental health diagnosis, they're already at higher risk of being, they're being put in an environment right now that's going to exacerbate Mm -hmm. their symptoms. So keep that in mind. And I think just like with diabetes, don't assume that your mental health care provider is closing or not available. Like I'm telling you, everyone is making resources available. I also know in general telemedicine and um, like um, so tele and then virtual medicine for psychological resources are both increasing in popularity in general before this happened. Yeah. So if you don't already have a mental health care provider, look and see what you can get connected with online to see what services are available to you because it's really important to take care of your mental health during this time. It's, I mean, it's just going to exacerbate things.
0: I'm I'm thinking of just doing like a Facebook chat just for everybody to kind of come together and chill out and, you
1: know. Yeah. And I think community support during this time is really vital too.
0: Well, cool. All right. So now, Julia, I want you to be really thoughtful about my ads. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs)
0: Jenny's good at this. This is a test for you. Okay. Are you using an algorithm based pump? I am. How is it working for you?
1: It's fantastic. Good. So I was using a different algorithm based pump before, Mm -hmm. which was also great,
0: but more do it yourself.
1: Yes. Uh It was a little more. Yes. Um, and, I'm now using a different algorithm-based pump. And I mean, honestly, like I was achieving greater than 80% time and range on both. But with this one, I'm actually having even less variability. So my standard deviation, which shows the variability, that's one of the measures for it, is very low on this one in comparison to the last one, even though I was achieving greater than 80% time and range on both. And on this one, my ninety-day average for time and range is over ninety percent.
0: What is your time and range set at? Or your range. What is so your? So
1: I set am. Up? I am a diabetes care and education specialist. So when I read reports, I use the same time and range that we use as clinicians okay. because that's how my brain works mm-hmm. when I'm assessing. Sure. So and also in the so in the clinical trials, this would also be the way they've set time and range. Mm-hmm. So it's seventy to one eighty is the way that. Providers look at time and range, right. and the way that we look at like ambulatory glucose profile outcomes and metrics, and then it's also how the studies um, for all of these devices look at time and range.
0: Seems very reasonable. Yeah, that's excellent. I I have Ardens obviously set at my goal, not yeah, at, yeah, from seventy to one twenty.
1: Well, yeah. no, and that makes yeah. sense for you guys. Yeah. For me, so I actually have my high alert on my pump. Oh, sorry, on my device um Hold on, it's, it's a pump that's fine it's a pump okay yeah. okay so sorry so my <laughs> high alert on my pump and on my cgm of choice um of choice and that is integrated with the system um is it's actually set lower than yeah. 180 right um but just for my reports i put it at 180 every once
0: in a while for my re- for the reports on for Arden and stuff i just switch it down i switch it back up to 180 to, to yeah and i'm like oh my god we're doing great and then yeah. I, and then i push it back down it's funny how pressure serves different people differently like yeah, i sure. i like to set it at 7 and 170 and 120 and when i when it says i'm out of range even if she's 130 or 140 i like to know that 40 percent of the time she's not under 120 so that i can right it helps me think about how that happened but right. I, i'm not i'm not impacted by it like for instance last night so arden was home this was her first day yesterday uh, distance learning for high school because her high school got shut down. Right. And so I think she was maybe a little stressed out all day. And we had her we had her basal cranked to like 150% all day just to keep her like more stable and down around
1: yeah. Well, Because she wasn't like running around school either there with was her friends like in a, the hallways.
0: A lot changing. And I'm trying to figure it out. right. But I did think all day she's going to get lower overnight because of this. And around 1130 her blood sugar started like trending down and we turned off all the, you know, the extra insulin that we had going. Yeah. But I'm like, this isn't going to stop. Like, I just know it isn't. And she ate an uncovered banana and I kept, I and I turned everything down a little more. And then right when I know I needed the insulin to go back on, I fell asleep. Oh no. And so from about 3 a.m. till 6 a.m., Arden's blood sugar was like 270. It jumped oh, no. it jumped up out of nowhere and leveled off yeah. at 270. And when I got up in the morning, I just looked and I went, "Oh, I fell asleep. That sucks." I fixed, Aww. I fixed it, and I didn't think about it again. But that's a long time with diabetes practicing not feeling guilty, not 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 going down that path of like beating yourself up and everything like that.
1: You can't. I yeah. mean, you're a person. You have to fall asleep. You fell asleep. That's well, how it that's is. All like that
0: happened. Right. Yeah. This is not going to, uh, you know, this is not going to negatively impact hardens existence. And no. so and so and so I'm like, you know, cool, but there would have been a time years ago where I would have beaten myself. I would have got up and like what did I do? You know what I mean like it would have felt bad. Yeah. Like but um but I like that range set where I can feel I I want the feedback. It doesn't yeah. it, it doesn't make me feel bad. But but it took me some time to train myself to that. So okay, so you're st- so your time and range is is really excellent. Yeah. Um are you still pre bolusing with this
1: I am. Right. Pre-bolusing is key, and I will keep saying that. So until the devices do not require you to pre-bolus, which is coming, um, the current devices, pre-bolusing is still
0: key. Yeah, no, 100%. Do you think from what you've seen, I know what I think, but do you think from what you've seen, this is the way of the future? Or do you think this is a thing that five years from now We'll all look back and go, do you remember that time we thought algorithms were going to help us with our insulin?
1: No, I think they're going to keep getting more complex. Um, So I think, I mean, I know um, from some research presentations I've been to um, that they're integrating even more machine-based learning into these algorithms for the future ones that are in development. So, you know, soon the pumps will be able to predict like you're moving in this way you're about to eat. And then they'll be able to change insulin based on that. So I think the algorithms are going to be great. I think we're going to look back and say, "Wow, we needed like different types of insulin to work a little more efficiently," um, in order for these algorithms to be even better.
0: Yeah. No, I think uh, improving insulin cannula technology, like little yeah, little that's things a big one don't too. Think about right. Like those are the those are the, the the points that should be focused on right now. But I'm just going to say. That I um I am looking very forward to the Omnipod Horizon coming out, uh, yeah. When it comes out, and I'm thrilled that there are other options for people, um, yeah. And, and this is it to me. This is this is it. You're you're right there,
1: you know. And I think they're just gonna keep getting better. So I think you know the first couple that have been out here, like maybe we'll look back and be like, wow, that really wasn't as much of an algorithm as what's currently available in five years, you know. But right. I think they're helping people so much, um, not focus so much on the little decisions that we have to make constantly. Yeah. I mean, there's still obviously some um, psychological involvement with diabetes, but they're really reducing it. And I think they really are helping people achieve much better time and range. I do still think pre is key with the commercial ones though.
0: 100%, yeah. Listen, and
1: I-, I think that's what's helped me. So 2021
0: and, and and 20. 20- And twenty, the end of twenty twenty here and the beginning of twenty twenty one. This is the jumping in period. Like, yeah, I'm telling you, if you if you met me on the street and asked me, I'd say, do it. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So
1: yeah, there's exciting stuff. Yeah, and
0: and and then the next step, of course, is access and affordability and getting these things to a point where they're uh, less expensive, easier for other people to get. Because then maybe one day. There'll be a world where the person who is not going to understand what was told to them in the hospital or doesn't get it told to them. Maybe they really just will get a thing, you know, here, slap this on here, put this on here. I'm going to put an app on your phone.
1: And, well, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what it's coming to. I can tell you that's, yep. it's getting there. That's so so cool. it's really exciting.
0: I'm, I'm excited to, to know that you agree. Um, I really am. Yeah. Because you've been using it for a while, haven't you? Are you allowed to say that?
1: <laughs> automated, yeah, I am. Um, so I've been using this device, um, for over three months now,
0: right? Okay, cool, yeah. And Arden's been doing this for uh, a long time at this point now, too. And, yeah, yeah, we just put some episodes out about it that I think, uh, you even came up online and said you learned something on one of the episodes with Kenny, didn't you? Was that you?
1: I don't know if it was me, I think I'm the one that will. No offense to the listeners. I'll send you messages sometimes and be like, I thought about this a different way.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I I don't, I can't remember if it was, I don't think it was Kenny. So I think it was a different episode.
0: Gotcha. I hear you. I just think it's, uh, it's so worth having these conversations because you're laying a blanket of understanding across the community that hopefully will, you know, will one day be big enough to warm everybody Yeah. Yeah. because you're not just going to reach every single person. Like, you know, and this is, it's not how it's going to work. It's there's going to be a trickle down. There are going to be people who, you know what? Not unlike how you spread the coronavirus. (laughs) There are going to be people (laughs) one day who use an algorithm based pump because of something I said on this podcast and they're never going to have heard of this podcast. And and I think that's important for us all to be doing, spreading good information out to people.
1: No, I agree. Good and like accurate information
0: is really important. Yeah. Trust me. That's uh it's yeah. Not, that's not as easy to get people to do. Um, I know. But it's getting better and you know what is helping? This is going to sound crazy. Um Facebook pages are less and less popular now. Yeah. Have you have you noticed that?
1: Yeah, that- I think we're moving towards Instagram, but I don't know if that's more oh, accurate. It's, <laughs> it's, it's
0: not it's not the ac- what I'm saying is, is what you're losing is a place where Let's pretend you were diagnosed a day ago, and I was diagnosed a month ago, and I found this place online, me with my one month worth of information, and I'm ah. pontificating about what I've learned, and you come rolling in thinking, oh, Scott knows. Listen, look at how he's talking. He, he Look, he must know. He typed a lot. Y- yeah. You know? And you don't realize that you're listening to a person who's three and a half weeks ahead of you. Right. And then it just, it blends confusion and the, the information's still in there because there's also people in there who are giving you good information. But when it's all right. blended together, like how do you figure out what which is which? Like what what do you know is a trusted source in that situation? Right. right. And so, you know, and that's blurring away. It's so interesting to have watched this for as long as I have. You know, I came into it during blogging and, oh, yeah. and there were blogs that were rock solid. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you could you could You could bank on what was being said there. Then blogging became popular. And then all of a sudden, there were a lot of opinions. Right. Which are fine, except now how do I decide which opinion? Which
1: blog is good. Right. Yeah. And then
0: they kind of drifted away. Blogs drifted away. And Facebook killed blogging. Yeah. Right? Because it used in the beginning, you'd write a blog piece and you'd post it on Facebook. And someone would read it and share it on Facebook. And social sharing like that used to be really popular. And so then the Facebook was good for the blogs. But then as soon as people opened up Facebook groups and made them private, that killed the blogs because the groups groups don't want you to leave the group. They want you to stay in the group. And so they don't direct you out to other stuff that killed blogging. And then now I think that being able to get information in other ways, you know, is now is now hurting Facebook. And so, so those groups are dwindling down. And it's so interesting to watch how it just rolls through and changes and changes and changes. Super. Yeah,
1: you've seen all of it. So yeah,
0: I'm very old, is what <laughs> we're saying.
1: You're not old. You've just seen the internet grow.
0: Yeah, it's a very weird thing to go from dial up to this. <laughs> yeah, it seriously is. Like I, I said last night. Um, how is it possible that my kids are bored? Like at no other time in the history of mankind have you had more ways to keep yourself busy or, or fill your mind or, or anything than, than you do right now. My son was home from college for three hours. So He's whining around the house going, what am I going to do? I'm
1: like, oh, no. I don't, I don't know, man. Poor guy. Yeah. Read a book. Oh, and, man.
0: Yeah, Arden's like, Arden goes, school thinks we're going to read for 30 minutes a day.
1: Ha, ha, ha. I was like, <gasps> Oh man!
0: Like, You're not getting Ju- oh man! You're not getting Julia's PhD one day, that's for sure. Um, oh man! <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Anyway, um, okay, so I'm gonna say goodbye here, and we're gonna spend 30 seconds with me asking you about setting up some other stuff. So hold on one second. Thank you very okay. much for doing this.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Huge thanks to Julia for coming on the show and for considering being on some diabetes pro tips about more emotional, and psychological issues regarding type 1 diabetes. Look for those in the future. Thank you also to Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. I appreciate that you sponsor the show. And of course, my longest advertiser, my dearest advertising friend, the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. You can find out more about Dexcom at dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Have yourself an absolutely free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod sent to you at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And the links to all of the sponsors are in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening to right now, right in that app. They're also available at juiceboxpodcast.com. Now, if you're listening in an app and you haven't already, go ahead and hit subscribe. So you don't miss the next episode of the juice box podcast and then go look back because there's about 314 other ones that you haven't heard yet. If this is your first one. Okay. Don't forget on March 26th at 3 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to have a meeting. It's just a meetup, right? It'll be through something called zoom. You'll just click on a link to get into it. You don't need any special software. You'll be able to interact with, see if you want, or just listen to other people just like you who are listening to the show. I'm thinking we're going to use it as sort of a support group while we're all kind of, you know, holed up in our homes. So that's Thursday, March 26th at 3 p.m. Eastern time. There'll be a link on my Facebook page, my Instagram, and my Twitter. You'll find it, don't worry. If you don't, send me an email. I'll hook you up. Absolutely free, by the way. No charge, no nothing like that. No special software needed. You just bang in, look around. Don't look around. You can turn your camera on or not turn your camera on, Right? we'll just sort of like uh, you know shoot the sh-